Okay, that was the second bell, so it's time for us to get started. One thing I would like to mention uh, this morning, just by way of reminder, is that the audio as well as the PowerPoint slides are available on the website, so www.eastside-church.org. You can go and download the audio as well as the presentations that you've been seeing throughout this quarter. Uh, and would encourage you to do that and, and let others know that this material is out there. Uh, a very good resource that I've used quite a bit for, for other classes, not this class yet, obviously, but uh, for the other classes I have. And, and they're getting up there very, very quickly. So big thanks to Trevor uh, and Tracy for making that happen. So we're in the second of a three-part series on humanism, relativism, and pluralism. So last time... What we did is we really gave an introduction to humanism. What is humanism? Um, And we're going to continue that some this morning. An idea of getting an idea of what humanism is. We didn't quite finish that. Um, And then we'll get into relativism some. What is relativism? But two things I want to do today. Actually, um, one thing I wanted to do today that we we, we touched on it last time but didn't get to. And that is how to convert the humanist. Someone who is an avowed humanist, how to do that. Now, we did mention that many of those are, are going to be in the category of Romans 1, where that they've refused to acknowledge God and God has given them up. So don't, don't be discouraged, but also don't judge. We'll get into that a little bit more and some techniques we can use, because there are those who were converted out of, the, you know, the New Testament days form of humanism would, would have been paganism and, and terrible unbelief. And there were those who were converted from that. So don't assume that someone's unconvertible uh, if they have a, a humanist philosophy. Uh, but we'll get into that some today. And we'll also get into a more, um, a more detailed definition of what relativism is. One thing that I did want to point out, and, and we did point out um, uh, on Wednesday, is that relativism is really a basic tenet of humanism. And this is kind of what I want us to spend the most time on. So we'll, we'll look at it today as well as Wednesday night. We'll cover relativism and some Bible answers to relativism. And the reason I want us to, to spend some time on relativism and pluralism really is just an outgrowth from relativism, right? Now you remember humanism. We looked at the definition of it. It's basically atheism, evolution, right? Um, does anyone remember those four? Atheism, evolution... Um, relativism, basically, and then the autonomy of man, that man is an end-all, that man is an end in and of himself, is autonomous, he needs nothing else. So those are the four real basic things. And I don't know that anybody, that any manifesto or anything like that just spells out those four basic things, but those are the things that we covered last time that are really the essence of humanism. Um, So, pluralism... Relativism being a basic tenet of humanism, relativism is the idea that truth is not absolute, that, that depends on the point of view as to what truth is. That's the concept of relativism. And pluralism kind of grows out of relativism. Pluralism says one, one person's religion is just as good as another. There is no such thing as one right way, and any path is as good as any other path, and we must uh, accept all paths. And that is something that is that we are, are, over the past few decades, has been hammered into us uh, in our culture as part of America. We must be accepting. The only thing that's unacceptable uh, is to be dogmatic. That's like the only thing you can't do. 
um, is is to to have is to say that something's wrong. I mean, that's and that's kind of where pluralism comes in. So all paths the Eastern religions, um, you know, paganism, atheism, agnosticism, uh, Islam, all of it is acceptable, uh, except for being a Christian. That's about the only thing that's not acceptable. So, just a review from last time. We did point out, you remember, that humanism is a religion. Do not be deceived. It is a religion. It is a religion in two senses of the word. We looked at a quote from their own manifesto that says that the humanists do believe it is a religion. Okay? It's not a religion in the sense that, that uh, it acknowledges God, but it is a religion in the sense of what it demands in terms of behavior and so forth. Um, it is a religion. Likewise, legally, it is a religion. It is acknowledged as a religion. It, it is given the protection, the, the tax-free status of churches in this country. So it is a religion. Uh, the main tenets we've covered, atheism, evolution, relativism, and the autonomy of man. And we also covered the humanist manifestos, the three humanist manifestos, 1, 2, and 3, 1933, 1973, and then 2003 uh, were when those were authored. And that's where you can get... And they're very, very short reads. Very short. You can read. You could read all three of those in less than, if you're a slow reader, you can read all three of those in less than an hour. They're, they're that short. Um, and so it's, you can get an idea of what uh, humanists teach and believe uh, in those three manifestos. And, and we quoted from those last time, and I'm going to quote some more from those just so you can see exactly what it is that the humanists believe. And the, again, the reason why that I'm approaching this uh, from the humanist point of view. Again, not so much because in this part of the country we have so many humanists that we come in contact with from day to day. Don't misunderstand. They are here, particularly in the schools here uh, in terms of the faculty as well as you know just people we meet from day to day. But, but most of the people that we talk to and that we're friends with are not going to be humanists in this part of the country. That may not be true other places. But most of the people, though, that we do come into contact with in this part of the country will be influenced by humanism. And I would suggest that I am and you are influenced by humanism far more than you think. Because that it is in our culture, it is in our society, it is beat into us every day that we're alive and we hear um, the communication that's around about us. Because it is so infiltrated our culture and our society. So we have to be aware of it. Um, so what I want, kind of the approach again, in getting at convicting those who contradict, our goal is how do we convert someone who's affected by these doctrines or believes in these doctrines? Um, and the idea with the humanist is, um, again, some avowed humanists, I believe, can be converted, can see the truth. Uh, but another is that many people are religious, but they have been so affected by relativism that they don't really believe anything anymore. And I think that if we can show them the root of relativism, which is humanism and evolution and atheism, that is the root of relativism. I think many people, if they could see the root of that, um, it would affect their thinking on this idea of you're okay, I'm okay, when they see where that thinking comes from. It comes from humanism. All right, so again, a quick review just to quote to show that whenever I say humanism is just atheism, I'm not making that up. I'm not slandering them. 
that this is this is kind of to show that um, from the humanist manifestos, right? Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Okay? So again, that shows that they're religion, right? And that they're atheistic. It was not created. Okay? Um, and this one was the one that really got under my skin the most as I was reading through. Uh, and this comes from Humanist Manifesto 2. Uh, as in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, especially faith in the prayer-hearing God, assumed to live in careful persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is an unproved and outmoded faith. Okay? That is basically atheism. There is no God. He does not hear you pray. And even if He did, He couldn't do anything about it. That is, in essence, what that says. Uh, as non-theists, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity. Again, setting forth the atheism in, in humanism. Uh, and humans are an integral part of nature, the result of unguided evolutionary change. That is a statement of evolution and their belief and acceptance of evolution as an explanation for how man got here. Okay. So we were we were just about right here last time. So that's kind of the review from what we covered last time. So I want to uh, uh, get into we covered the tenet of atheism and the tenet of evolution. Let's look at this idea of relativism. And we're, again, we'll get into this a little bit more later as well as Wednesday. So humanism is tolerant of everything except <coughs> theism. <laughs> Anything except theism, anything except a belief in God. Um, again, it's uh, uh, this. This last part of this quote is what I want us to get at. Humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. So, in other words, human values cannot be constant. They can't be constant. There is no higher authority that sets forth human values. There is no such thing. Okay? Human value is the highest authority, and human values change over time. Truth is relative. Okay? Human values are relative. Um, again, we, have, we affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous and situational. In other words, what may be right at one point in time is not right at another point in time. The situation determines the right and wrong of a thing. Not a higher standard or an unchangeable authority. That's not what determines right and wrong, but the situation does. Um, and there is no need for theological or ideological sanction for these beliefs. And again, finally, from the, the third most recent manifesto, uh, ethical values are derived from human need and interest as tested by experience. So how do we know what's ethical and right? Whatever we decide. <laughs> Whatever the situation demands, that's what's ethical and right. And it's relative and it changes. Okay? That's the concept that truth is relative. So let's look some more at their ethics. This is from uh, the Manifesto number 2. And this is talking about uh, sexual ethics and, the, and sexual immorality or morality and, and the lack thereof of, of any such thing as true sexual morality. In the area of sexuality, we believe that intolerant attitudes often cultivated by orthodox religions and puritanical cultures, unduly repress sexual context, uh, conduct. The right to birth control, abortion, and divorce should be recognized. Okay? Those are things that could not be more clearly condemned in the Bible. Abortion and divorce. Okay? 
Those are things that could not be more clearly condemned in the Bible. Um, the many varieties of sexual exploration should not in themselves be considered evil. Okay? And the Bible lays forth sexual immorality as clearly as it can be as evil. Not sex, but sexual immorality is evil in the Bible. It is just laid forth that way. That's how the Bible sets it forth. And here humanism says it's not. Um, a civilized society should be a tolerant one. Okay, so this, this constant drive that we have for tolerating immorality in all forms, be it adultery or um, premarital sex or homosexuality, any of those things, we are driven to be tolerant of those by the humanists. Now, get this. Moral education for children and adults is an important way of developing awareness and sexual maturity. They want to educate us on their morality, their sexual morality, their sexual immorality, I should say, and their, their tolerance of it. They, they have that as a, as a goal, and we'll see that a little bit more, that they set forth. That is a goal of theirs, is to make sure that we are tolerant okay, as a society. Uh, civil liberty also includes a recognition of an individual's right to die with dignity, euthanasia, and the right to suicide. So again, not so much sexual immorality, but another uh, getting back to ethics and morality. Uh, they're definitely in support of, of euthanizing adults, uh, euthanizing uh, people, preying on those who, um, you know, de devaluing human life is what it comes down to. And as well as abortion would be included as something a humanist would definitely be in support of, as something that, they, that, is, that is an acceptable thing. Alright, so that's the concept of truth is relative. We're going to look some more at that a little bit later on. So if I didn't cover that to your satisfaction, hang on. We're going to get there. Uh, maybe not today, but we will get there Wednesday and, and talk some more about that concept of truth being relative. So the fourth tenet uh, that man is autonomous. Um, again, religious humanism considers the complete realization of a human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. Why in the here and now? Because according to the humanists, there's nothing else, right? That's it. Be, you know, get the most out of life you can right now because there is nothing else. Uh, we believe in maximum individual autonomy, uh, consonant with social responsibility. There is no credible evidence that life survives the death of the body. Okay? That is, again, their belief. When it's over, it's over. Um, and life's fulfillment emerges from individual participation in the service of humane ideals. And you'll remember in the introduction, I pointed out that the, the name, even the name humanism or humanist is cleverly chosen. Because when you hear humanist or humanism, doesn't it call to mind some really good things? I mean, just, just hearing the word, not knowing what we've covered, right? It sounds like human. It sounds like... Uh, humane, it sounds like, you know, the humanity, all of those good things. And that's not what it's about. It's about atheism, evolution, situational ethics, and uh, uh, the autonomy or the, this, you know, man being the, the top of, of everything, of all of, of the world we see. I think it may be seen in some things like the uh, uh, communist countries that will talk about the people's mm -hmm. republic of something or other. Mm -hmm. Television shows of, of days gone by up with people. You know, people yeah. are the important thing. Well, they are, but uh, 
not probably in the way they're talking about. Exactly. Now, why are people important? Because we are, the, we are God's crowning creation, right? We, we are just a little lower than the angels. That's why that men are important. Not because you know, we happen to be uh, at the top of the food chain, if you will. But it's because that, that God took special interest in us. And that's the only thing that makes humans more important than, than uh, the other living things in creation. That's it. That God took special interest in us and created us in His image. Um, so the key humanist in history, Bob and I had this discussion, so I added this. Uh, he was here uh, Wednesday, and, and we, we were talking about this, and he suggested this. So there are some key humanists in history. One of the things we pointed out last time is how that atheism was almost unheard of until the late 1700s. I mean, you would have an atheist from time to time, and, and the Bible addresses, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So atheism has been around Forever, but really, there was no no word atheist until the late 1700s. If you look at the etymology of that word, it didn't even exist because you almost couldn't find an atheist before the 1700s. It was very difficult to find one. Uh, but then um, this uh, this unbelief caught on. Humanism has caught on, and, and there are some key humanists in history. So one of the problems when you deny the existence of God. You have really, I think, three distinct problems. One is, how did humans get here, right? Well, the, the humanist, Charles Darwin, gives an answer to that in his book, The Origin of Species, and, and that is evolution. That's how we got here. Oh, so that one's taken care of. Okay? The next is, how have nations risen and fallen? You look at the Bible, nations rise and fall as God rises them up. For his purposes. And continues to rule in the affairs of men today in the same way. Rises up nations. Okay? And we see that throughout the Old Testament. Well, how has that happened? Why does a nation rise and fall? Well, Karl Marx, a key humanist, gives the answer to that question. Without God. You see, it's just, uh, you know, it's just the class struggles. right? So in his book, The Communist Manifesto, we have the answer to that. How have nations risen and fallen without God's hand? Being present, And then, how do we explain the obvious conflict that we humans have between the spiritual and the fleshly, the physical? How do we explain that obvious conflict that every single human being knows exists, right? There, there is no doubt that there exists a, a, a knowing of the right thing to do and a desire not to do it. That exists. That is, you know, that is the desire to fulfill the, the body that you have or the desire to be something more and, and something more real, right? That desire, that, that is a fundamental part of being a human. The Bible answers that question very simply, that God breathed into us the breath of life. He created us in His image. He gave us a soul. He gave us a spirit that there's more to it than our body. Okay? Whereas the humanist has Sigmund Freud to answer that question, right? You have the unconscious and the conscious. The ego being the conscious and... The unconscious consisting of the id and the superego and, and those things. So, so Sigmund Freud gives that answer. So now, three key questions that are answered quite simply in the Bible, the humanist has an answer for. And you'll note the date of these are all early 1800s. Um, and you know that's right after the 1700s when evolution really got its start. So you, you'll see that um, you know, uh, these, these answers were given. These are key humanists in history. Um, backing the history of humanism. And without those key answers, really hard to be humanist.
really hard. It's, it's just self-contradiction. That red does not show up as well as it does right here. I mean, I see it great right here. So I'll read that to you, I hope. Um, so what I want us to see on this slide is the goals of humanism. We cannot be deceived uh, and cannot think that they are content just to espouse their philosophy and be done with it. Um, they, religious humanism maintains that all, now I highlighted that, all associations and institutions exist for the fulfillment of human life. Okay? The intelligent evaluation, transformation, control, and direction of such associations and institutions with a view to the enhancement of human life is the purpose and program of humanism. So what is included in all associations and institutions? That would be us. We're included in that. Local churches are included in that. Denominations are included in that. All institutions. That is their goal, is to infiltrate every institution in society. That is their goal. Spelled out right here in the manifesto. That is what they want to do and to make sure um, that... See, that is the purpose and program of humanism is to be sure um, that these associations and institutions exist for the fulfillment of human life. Certainly, and just so that there's no doubt, certainly religious institutions, their ritualistic forms, ecclesiastical methods, and communal activities must be reconstituted as rapidly as experience allows. Any doubt about what their goal is as regards to religion in American culture? Okay. No doubt, right? They want to reconstitute religion in American culture. That is their goal. Okay. And I will go so far as to say, this was written in 1933. They have succeeded beyond their wildest expectations in this goal, in achieving this goal. And it, it affects us. It has affected um, it has affected Christians. It has affected local churches. It has done that. Now the emphasis is mine. That's not in there. But I wanted you to see that. Um, so in order for these churches, religious institutions, to function uh, effectively in the modern world, they need to be humanistic. And that is their goal. Don't be deceived. <laughs> Don't, don't think that humanism is out there, that it's unorganized, and that it's just a philosophy that some people believe. It is an organized attempt to derail faith in our culture. That is what it is. So, in other words, humanism wants to infiltrate and change all religious institutions to be more humanist. You and I have been affected by humanism. Do not think you have not I, I don't think I have it. I, I didn't realize it as much until I began this study, but I have been affected by humanism, and so have you. It's, it's impossible to live without being affected by it in this society. They've reached practically every facet of American society. Entertainment, any question that it exists there, right? None at all, right? No question. In our government, any question that humanism... And this is how that they have done that, is they've infiltrated from the top and work their way down. Okay? That's how humanists have done it. There are humanists in our government, okay? in education. Okay? It began only in the higher education, right? That's where it got its start, in the faculty of universities, right? Now, 
It is in all public schools, basically. Humanism is there, and, and public schools are required to teach certain things that are humanist in their nature. Okay? They are required to teach evolution. Okay? That, that's a requirement, that it is to be taught. Okay? And so it goes all the way down. The NEA, the National Education Association, is as humanist an organization as can exist. Okay? And that is... That is grassroots education, the NEA, is what they're looking to affect. And uh, again, religion. They have infiltrated the faculty of these religious seminaries and have begun to place doubt in basically any religious school. Anytime they can, they will try to infiltrate and place doubt in the minds of those who are, who are studying religion at these higher institutions. That is their goal, and they have... They have reached into every facet of American society. So the cause and effect, um, and I found this very, very interesting. Um, this is from the manifesto written in 1973. Free thought, atheism, agnosticism, skepticism, deism, rationalism, ethical culture, and liberal religion. Okay? Liberal religion all claim to be heir to the humanist tradition. So liberal theologians claim to be somewhat humanist and affected by humanism. In the 1930s or so, people would say, you cannot be a Christian and a humanist at the same time. There was just no doubt about that. Nowadays, you hear of Christian humanists. And I use the term Christian accommodatively. You cannot be a Christian as the Bible teaches in a human. That's impossible. Absolutely impossible. But there are those who would suggest that they are Christian. And that's how they've infiltrated the religious seminaries. Okay? And, and even churches, those who claim to be Christian, but who, are, who have hold on to, to some of those basic tenets of humanism and hold on to that very, very tightly. And it, then it goes back to the roots of humanism, ancient China, classical Greece and Rome, uh, through the Renaissance and Enlightenment to the scientific revolution of the modern world. So that is you know, the roots of humanism, and this is the, the heirs of humanism, if you will. And particularly I wanted us to see liberal religion as claiming to be an heir of humanism. Any questions on that? Thoughts on that? Be aware. Okay. We're not, they're not playing. We shouldn't play either. I think uh, an evidence of that might be seen in Bob was in, uh, up there where the you know, Bethany College, you know, where Alexander Campbell did a lot of his work, founded that college and so mm-hmm. forth. And I believe that's where it was. Uh, somewhere in that area, Bob was wanting to find out from one of the professors that he happened to see walking along about the, the restoration that, that, mm-hmm. that took place you know, back in the early 1800s, middle 1800s, whatever it was. And um, anyway, he, he asked this, this professor about it. The professor, rather than looking like he was glad to talk about the history and so forth and the things that the school stood for and so forth, he said, I don't want to hear about that. He, he wasn't interested in that. Yeah. He was just interested in today. So I think uh, humanism has infiltrated uh, that particular institution that had its beginning with the restoration movement and a lot of other things. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. It has infiltrated as many institutions as possible, and even even our thinking um, in terms of and and I've got just a bullet a little bit later on, but I'll bring it up. It has infiltrated our thinking, uh, and by ours I mean those who claim to be Christians, those who claim to be New Testament Christians. It has infiltrated our thinking, and one kind of recent evidence of that is the recent discussion over Genesis chapter 1, right? Where do we get the idea that the earth is billions of years old? Where do we get that idea? That comes straight from humanism. That's where that comes from. From the need to defend evolution. From the need to be, to be relevant in this postmodern scientific world that we live in. That's where that comes from. So do not think that we're talking about something that's only affected the denominations and has only affected culture and only affects us in some some you know obscure way no it has worked its way in and another area where that has worked its way in is in the area of fellowship uh, where that we are encouraged to distinguish um, between doctrinal doctrinal correctness and fellowship the bible makes no such distinction <laughs> it doesn't make a distinction and humanism has and, and, and one of the tenets, relativism, has caused us to want to accept all beliefs, all, you know, all, uh, and, and that has made its way into local churches. The desire to accept those who are in error and to ignore error as unimportant. That is, 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 is so don't think we're immune and not talking about something that's only affected Baptist seminaries. No, not so much. And I appreciate you bringing that out, Ralph, to, to help bring that, nail that point home. So those are two key areas where that it has affected us right here at home. I was shocked not that long ago to go to a congregation we would recognize as would have recognized as being sound in the D.C. area, and walked in on a Wednesday night, and they were having Bible classes, and one caught my attention: science versus the Bible thought, oh, that would be an interesting class. So I went in there. The whole quarter of that class was spent on debunking seven days of creation mm-hmm. and the whole idea of creation as we understand it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was exceptionally discouraging to be there. But, that's, yeah. but you're right, that's where it's got its root. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that concept of debunking that has gotten its root um, from humanism. Yeah, yeah you're, and, and that is definitely... Discouraging and sad to hear. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt of that. I see this as a creation of Satan. He just put another humanistic title to it so he can deceive you. Gave it a good title, didn't he? Humanism sounds good, doesn't it? And deceive you and and, uh, smiling all the time, saying you're mine. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I couldn't agree more that that is. Humanism comes directly from Satan. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. So again, I've made this point before, but many humanists are going to fall in the category of Romans 1, 18 to 32. Just turn there. And I haven't used much scripture. uh, And that will be remedied Wednesday night. I have a a ton of verses to look at Wednesday night. Um, But part of it is that, you know, even as we go through this, Converting the humanist is... You can't really start at Scripture to do that. One is I want us to understand where they're coming from. 
But the second is we can't really start with, you know, the Bible is the Word of God. That's not the place we're going to be able to start in discussing that with a, with a humanist. Now, a little later, I think those who have been subconsciously or unknowingly influenced by humanism, I think we can start there with some of those. But Romans 1, you guys all know this, um, uh, but you know some are going to fall into this category of verse 24, right? You'll notice that since the creation of the world, verse 20, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. And so there's, there's ample evidence for God, but yet, um, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him, nor were thankful. And then verse 24, what happened? God, God gave them up, right? So many humanists are going to fall into that category. They've been given up. They've given them, God has given them up because they've given themselves up. They have no interest, right? And they're going to continue down that path. That's certainly true. So, but, but, and, and again, you know, the concept here, you know, those who didn't receive the love of the truth, uh, and, and that, that idea is, is what are in these passages. That many humanists are going to fall into the category of those who could not care less about God and do not want to hear about it and they're just it's wasting your time almost to talk to them about it however we're not to judge whether or not someone falls in that category or falls in the category of someone who would listen to the word our job is to sow the seed not to you know not to be not to be uh, those who who determine the quality of the soil our job is to sow the seed so here are some approaches now this comes right out of a chapter called The Plausibility of God from Piloting the Strait by Dave Miller. Don't know if you guys have read that book or not, but I can highly recommend that book. Dave Miller um, is uh, he an institutional uh, uh, brother, but he um, is as conservative, as really more conservative than, than many non-institutional brethren that I've read. It, it, very, very conservative. And this book, Piloting the Strait, Written, I don't know, the copy I have is dated 1996, and it is timeless, a great message in that book. So he goes through, there, there are basically four very good proofs for the plausibility of God. And I think this is a good place to start with a humanist, someone who, who does not believe in God, an atheist, an evolutionist. Cosmological proof, teleological in other words, teleological means that there is design in the universe, right? Who would deny that, that there is design? Therefore, there must be a designer. Uh, moral proof, and then there's evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. I want to spend the rest of the time looking at these in a little more detail. So cosmological proof, the existence of the universe itself, right, is proof of a creator. The universe is not eternal. There is zero evidence that the universe is eternal. Scientifically. There is no evidence that the universe is eternal. There is no scientific evidence of that. In fact, all the evidence is to the contrary, that the universe began somehow. So the fact that it is not eternal is itself proof of a creator. It is not eternal and it is degrading. In other words, it's you know the second law of thermodynamics. It's continually progressing to disorder. Things wear out over time. That is... Definitely a, a truth of the of the universe, and the Big Bang. We we touched on this some. The Big Bang does not account for matter being created from nothing, right? If you, if you read about the Big Bang theory, what what is always there, right? There were some dust particles. Okay, then then you have to beg that question, right? 
Where did those particles come from? You, you see that? And so that, that you ultimately get back to the, well, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? So there had to have been, logically, there had to have been an uncaused first cause. Yeah. What made it bang? What made it bang? Exactly. What made it bang? What was there to bang? To call, you know, there had to have been an uncaused logically, and, and I think that that this is certainly you know a, a line of reasoning that that you can go with with someone who's reasonable, not someone who's already given up, right? But someone who's reasonable is going to see that, and, and they may not immediately jump and say, okay, then the Bible's true. But at least thinking along these lines, you can get someone to thinking about that. Okay? And that's why I think agnosticism is considerably more uh, more prevalent than, than true atheism. I, I don't run into a lot of true atheists. Because um, most everyone acknowledges there had to be a, a first cause. Um, the teleological proof, a big word that just means that there is design and order in the universe. Okay? Intelligent planning is behind all order design. Right? Have you ever seen anything that we design as humans? A car, a, a computer, anything that has to be designed, there is intelligent planning is where that starts. Okay? It, it doesn't just happen by accident, right? And there may be some you know fortunate things along the way, but there is always an intelligent plan to begin with. Okay? And so um, nature is meticulously designed. Ask any scientist. <laughs> In any science, is nature meticulously designed? Is it? And the answer is definitely, yes, it is. And that design requires a designer, an intelligent planner at the beginning. It had to be. Had to be. So, you, you know, the old analogy of parts in a junkyard don't just come together in a tornado and make a car. It doesn't work that way. It's not random. It requires uh, an intelligent planner. Psalm 19.1 and Romans 1 and verse 20. We just read Romans 1 and verse 20. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. I love that play on words in that verse, right? How that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, right? You can't really see it, but oh, you see it as clear as day. Don't you? Right? And then Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. That there is a... Uh, there is an intelligent designer behind all of this. And then just consider the design of the human body. Just for a moment, think about that and how that, that is alone proof. Of all the research that we do into robotics, and we still can't come up with a robot that can do anything near what the human body can do. Think, take the camera. What's the camera based on? The design of a camera. What's it based on? The human eye, right? The lens and so forth. Is the camera anywhere near the human eye? Nowhere near it, is it? You see that? But how much, you know, how much intelligence goes into designing a camera? Uh, the one that takes even stills, let alone the motion cameras, right? It's, it's amazing the design and research that goes into that, and it's still not the human eye. It's not, it doesn't even compare. Um, and, and in terms of the way that the body is able to adapt to, to stimulus in it. So that, that the, the, just the absolute design of it, um, and when that men have attempted to design anything similar, even to a single part of the body, we fail. So design requires a, a designer. This one will be a, maybe a more difficult sell, but I think it's definitely worthy of, of looking at, and that is morality approved. 
Because a humanist may say, well, I don't believe in morality. Okay, I don't believe in standards of morality. So that may be a difficult place to start. But I think that this last bullet is really key. Uh, there exist such things as ethics and morality, and that suggests the existence of God. In other words, be as relativistic as you want, but there are certain unchanging moral truths that have existed over time. Right? Uh, for example... Uh, take the Nazis in Germany. What made what they did so wrong? Fundamental moral principles. Right? How could the international community condemn them? Right? There are fundamental higher principles that just do exist. Moral principles that transcend situations. Okay? That in, in all times, that behavior is evil. Okay? And that's... That certainly, uh, that, that concept suggests that there is the existence of God. The, value, the, the fact that even the humanist would say that human life is intrinsically valuable. Okay? Intrinsically valuable. I think that suggests the idea of a creator. For example, if you take a rat, a bug, and a human baby all together, it's clear that one of those is far more important than the other, right? You, 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 you can kill the rat, you can kill the bug, you can even kill other animals that may, not as, that may be more charming than those uh, for food, right? You can do that. But the human life, there's something intrinsically more valuable in that. Even the humanist would admit that. And I think, where does that value come from? If there is no God, then there is nothing more intrinsically valuable in that human life. Nothing. It's just another animal. Another chemical reaction. That's all that it is. You drive down the road, you see a deer lying on the side of the road that's been hit. Nobody pays much attention to it. Well, there's a deer. You, you find a part, a body part of mm-hmm. a human being, a hand, a foot. It makes the news. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Intrinsically, there is value in, in human life. And then... Um, uh, the fact that more, more moral decline historically precedes a societal fall. Just follow history and you'll see that when the morals of a society decline, the, the society itself falls not, soon, not, not long after that. And so that's, uh, I think, proof of moral principles. And the existence of a conscience. right Now, uh, granted, the conscience is not the ultimate God. I'm not suggesting that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Right? The Bible teaches that the conscience can become seared and so forth. But the conscience needs to be trained. But even an improperly trained conscience, where does that come from? That the concept that there's something right I should be doing and I'm not doing it. Right? Or there's something, you know, there's right and wrong, and when I choose wrong, there's a nagging inside of me, right? All humans have that. All do. Where did the conscience come from? I think it's proof of the existence of God. And then the Bible itself is proof. And we could spend an entire, you know, an, an entire quarter examining this. But just real quickly, uh, the predictive prophecies. Christ was to appear during the Roman Empire. Daniel 2, verse 44. Very, very clear. So clear, in fact, that humanists want to take Daniel and move him much, much later. They want to post-date his work because his prophecies are just too accurate. To have, to, have, to have occurred during the time that Daniel lived. Um, the fact that the rejection and crucifixion are prophesied. The historical and geographical accuracy of the Bible. Remember the Hittites for years and years. 
They, it was said that there's no such thing as the Hittites. That, that disproves the Bible. Well, lo and behold, later on they found evidence that there existed a group of people called the Hittites. Uh, and then the unity of the Bible. The fact that as you follow it, how did, the, how did Moses know to follow Abraham and not Ishmael in the story of the Bible? How did he know to do that? Yeah, you see that the unity, that constant theme, even though there are different authors throughout, so these are all, and again, I would encourage you to do a more in-depth study on this, but I do want to touch on this uh, in this course. Thanks.